Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. USA Today best-selling author Kate Hewitt seems to have done it all. She's a busy vicar's wife raising five children, and between meals, so to speak, she's also found time to write more than 60 books in multiple genres, from classic romance to intensely emotional women's fiction. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler, and today Kate talks about how life and publishing is constantly changing, staying ahead of the curve and how she does it, and the mystery in her own life that might make a story sometime. But before we talk to Kate, just a reminder that the show notes for this binge reading episode can be found on the website thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find links to Kate's books and website, as well as information on how to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes. But now, here's Kate. Hello there, Kate, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thank you, Jenny. Great to be here. Look, beginning at the beginning, which is where I always like to start, was there a once upon a time moment when you decided that you wanted to write fiction? And if so, what was the catalyst for it? Well, I've always written something uh, since I was quite small. Uh, Plays, poetry, newspaper articles. I think um, even since I was about six, I always wanted to be a writer of some sort. Um, Probably a very, very early catalyst was... My brother wrote a short story and got a lot of attention for it. And so I decided I wanted to write a story too. I was about five. And I wrote one that was one sentence long. And my father read it. And yeah, I think actually that was sort of the beginning of it all. (laughs) How amazing. And how lovely that your dad took it seriously. He did, yeah. There's actually a joke in my family because... When I was about six, I wrote a longer story and I put a cover on it and made it very official looking. And then I wrote on the cover by the author of The Christmas Rose, which was my first story. So everyone kind of (laughs) joked that I I was into marketing at a very early age. (laughs) (laughs) You've got the most remarkable scope in what you write. And the, the uniting factor seems to be the thing that you use in your kicker line emotional stories in a number of genres and you've done everything from women's fiction to historicals to the traditional harlequin romance and I would imagine that writing each one of those different types of stories appeals to something different in you and I wondered if you'd like to talk about that a little bit what is the fun in doing these such a wide range of things? Um, well, I think I like writing different genres because, you know, you can get, I, I really like the emotional women's fiction I do, but it's quite draining. So to be able to switch from that to something lighter is kind of like a palate cleanser writing wise. So that's, I enjoy that. Uh, I started with writing um, classic Harlequin romance because I'd read those when I was a teenager. And um I, to be perfectly frank, I really started writing those because 
I'd read that that was the best chance of a steady income as a writer. So, and that's what I wanted. Yeah. But I enjoy the sort of being swept away element to them. But I'd probably say that my heart is really with the more emotional women's fiction, sort of the Jodie Picoult style writing. Yes. And I was amused to see on one of your blogs that you were saying that, you know, investing the time in your in the most recent book, I think, that you mentioned that it was a bit like thinking like Jodie Pico for a change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can imagine the Harlequins are fun, though. They're probably only about 50,000 words, are they? Are those? That's right. You can get them done and have a sense of accomplishment. Yes, which I did like when I, I started writing those about 10 years ago. And I had very young children at the time, and they were manageable. And, you know, it was... Um, a good steady writing income. I think I've written about 60 now and I am getting a bit tired of the formula. <laughs> so I probably will, you know, taper off with those, but, uh, but they've been great while I've been writing them. You must have seen quite a change in the whole Harlequin um, um, field while you've been doing them too, because romance has changed a tremendous lot in that decade, hasn't it? Yes, and publishing has changed a lot, you know, with the advent of self-publishing and digital publishing. It's it's really, in the last 10 years since I've been um, writing full-time, it's, it's really changed. And, you know, I think as an author, the challenge is just to adapt and, you know, be able to write what is important to you, but also just to stay current and know what's going on. Yeah, so you've got probably more than one publisher, I guess, have you, for your different um, streams? Yeah, I mean, I've... I've been with various publishers throughout the years and right now I write for four publishers so yeah lots going on <laughs> oh, that's pretty yeah that that would be very demanding in itself yeah and your standalone some of your standalone women's fiction is written under the pen name of Catherine Schwartz and I just wondered how that came about as well yeah that came about well the Kate Catherine Schwartz is my real name Kate Hewitt is my pen name, which I took when I began writing for Harlequin because generally they encourage you to write under a pen name. Yes. And then when I wrote those historicals, they were really different from everything else I was writing. And so I thought it would be better to do it under a different name. And I wanted to use my own name for once. <laughs> That's how that happened. Uh, so was the, uh, I did, the Immigrants Trilogy, was that that was done under Kate Hewitt, wasn't it? Well, it was originally done under Catherine Swartz as a magazine serial in the UK. Oh, okay. And then I extended it and uh, self-published it under Kate Hewitt since I was more well-known as Kate Hewitt. So it's I see, yes. I, I've got the Kindle version with Kate Hewitt. That's why I was slightly confused yeah. for a moment. And And while we're talking about that, I gather that that is also based on some of your own family history, that, that one of the storylines for that, the first book anyway. Yes, this, yes, the first book is based on my great, 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 great aunt, I think. <laughs> um, and the letters in the book are, are real letters that we've kept in our family. So I, I was really intrigued by, by their romance and wanted to write about it. But the Second and third book, I'm afraid, are completely fictionalized. <laughs> oh, it's it's lovely. It's amazing to have had real letters, though, to be able to to refer back to. And and there was it was quite a lovely story of one of your forebears leaving Scotland to go to Canada and and leaving a young woman behind with a promise that he was going to return. 
Yes. Well, to claim her hand, and there was all sorts of things that happened that tended to bring break them apart. It wasn't um, a smooth journey for the true lovers, so to speak. So, um, um, yeah. and of course, without we we take communication so much for granted, but when you're trying to imagine somebody in that period and and dying to have news of somebody that they cared about greatly, um, you realise how lucky we are with the communication we have today. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that was part of what really struck me with that story was there was no reliable mail service. It was just, you know, you passed on a letter and hoped it eventually made its way to Canada, the settlement where they were. And so actually, you know, some, they're in looking at the letters, sometimes they didn't get a letter from one another for a year and a half or something. So that I can imagine that would be really difficult. Mm, yes, right. Now, the Hartley by the Sea series seems to be one that's you're making your name at the moment. It's got prominence on your website. That's That's a series that's set in the Lake District. And I believe you lived in the Lake District um, during some of your time in England. Yes, we lived in the Lake District for four years, and Hartley by the Sea is based on the village where we lived. Great. Oh, that's wonderful. And then Rainy Day Series, Sisters, the book one in the series, is a, a lovely story about two sisters who in different ways are trying to come to terms with mm. a rather um, a rather unsympathetic mother, mother figure. Um and a lot of your stories, it seems to me, revolve around that human need to be loved and the equally human tendency to withdraw when you're hurt. And I wonder if you'd agree that that, that is a theme that you return to again and again. Uh, yes, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, especially in writing romance, that the need to be loved and what keeps that from happening, I think probably I would say uh, the two major themes is how loving involves risk, which is why I think people withdraw. And also, uh, especially in my women's fiction, I really like to write about sort of redemption of difficult circumstances. So I think that uh, comes out in a lot of my books. So you've got the new one that's out this month, The Mother's Choice. Yes. It sounds like that sort of story. It's a, an emotional page turner about the relationship between two women one of whom gives the child up for adoption and the other of whom adopts the child. And you can see that on both sides there's the room for a lot of heartache. Yes, yes. And I think that book is quite, it's probably the most emotional that I've written. I really tried to uh, write it so you could identify equally with both women. So there's not, I don't really like writing villains, as it were, you know, or they're really both meant to be, um, someone that you can relate to. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I know that um, I also have really enjoyed the Willoughby Close series. I've read, I've read a number of them, not not all five, but I have read about three of them so far. And I was amused to see that somebody described them as feel-good snuggly because you do really get grabbed by the characters. So um, um, I thought that your your portrayal, for example, of, um, the lady who's dying is it's very touching and and the whole community is sort of rallying around her so yeah it's it's really beautiful but nice it's not depressing that's the thing it's feel good 
Yeah, as well. Yes, I know sometimes people review those books and say that they're good light reading. And I think, well, they're not that light because they do have at the center of the story is someone dying. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or, or, or recovering from a difficult sort of criminal background or, yeah, they, they do touch on some quite tough themes as well. Like, right. Now, I think you were first published in 1999, I think. Yes. But when I look back, um, mostly what's on, on around now is from 2010. So I wondered about that first 10 years of your career. Were you spending that mm. time finding your, your voice, doing a lot of work for magazines? Or Yeah, that's right. Um, for that, those 10 years, I was pretty much writing uh, short stories and serials for magazines, which was really a great way for me to get into the business because I had a lot of young children at home yeah. and I could only write in the evenings for a short period. So being able to write a short story in an evening or two and send it off was really uh, satisfying. You know, I didn't, I didn't really want to attempt a book at that point because I was worried I'd spend, you know, a year or two writing a book and nothing would happen with it. And I just didn't want to make that kind of commitment. So yeah, for about 10 years, I wrote, I think, I'm not sure, but probably about 400 short stories that were published mainly in the UK, but also in Australia and the United States and South Africa. And it was it was a really good experience at honing my craft and learning to plot very tightly. And um, yeah, it was kind of like going to graduate school for creative writing. Yeah, great experience. Tell me, do those magazines still exist now? Could could somebody do that now? Yeah, yeah. I mainly wrote for the People's Friend in the UK, which is still going, and I still actually write write serials for them, uh, just sort of out of loyalty because they gave me my first break. And uh, Women's Weekly again, that's a magazine that's still around. So yeah, I mean, it's it's not as it once was. I think probably the heyday was in the. Oh, I don't even know, maybe the 50s and 60s when a lot of magazines had a short story space. And they tend to be taken out now by sort of reality TV type stories. But uh, but yeah, there's still a market there. And a lot of um, romance writers and women's fiction writers in the UK, at least, can, can get their start by writing short stories. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, perhaps moving on away from specific books to a slightly wider view of your career is there one thing you've done more than any other that you would see as the secret to your success? Well, I think what I tell uh, aspiring authors is to finish something because I think often when you're not published, you you know, what I did at the start was I wrote a couple chapters of something and then I thought, oh, this isn't really good. I'm going to do something else. And I think once you actually finish a book, even if it's terrible, you know, it really gives you a sense of confidence. And so, and you feel that you realize you can do it and you keep doing it. So I think finishing uh, books before I was published and then also persevering through rejection, through poor sales, through publishers dropping you, you know, there's, it's up and down. It's not, you don't sort of make it and then it's smooth sailing for the rest of your career. So I think just plodding on and, and writing even when things aren't going well is probably but I would say the secret to my success is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And you have tried your hand at self-publishing along the way, I guess, haven't you? With You mentioned the immigrant series. Mm. I self-published a bunch of serials that I'd written for The People's Friend, and I adapted them to be a bit longer, to be novels. And um, that was sort of when the self-publishing was really getting going. And I, you know, I think sort of another secret to my success is adapting and seeing what, what is working because things have you know things are changing all the time i think faster and faster and so if something isn't working and your books aren't selling i try to look and see what i need to do to to sell better and at that point self-publishing seemed like a a pretty good deal it's not so much anymore for me (laughs) but it was for a little while yeah it's this it's once again people are, are talking as if the marketplace is just becoming so much more filled with other other writers that it's hard to get yourself known yes mm. really hard now and even hard you know for someone who I mean I'm I wouldn't say my name is super well recognized but you know every book I write is it's harder and harder to make a mark with it so that that can be a little discouraging but you know you just have to keep trying Mm, sure um this is a funny little question that I noticed in Goodreads but I thought it was fun we might have already answered it mind you with our story about your great 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 aunt or uncle, but is there a mystery in your own life that you could make a plot line or a romance line for a story? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, well, I would say there's one thing in my history, which is that my great grandfather changed his name when he came to America from uh, England, and we don't know who he was before or why he changed his name. And when his children asked him about it, he just said, I haven't done anything to be ashamed of. And so that's been a mystery in our family. No one's been able to find out why he changed his name or what his name was before. So that would be something that I think would be an interesting story to write sometime. Most definitely. So so you just, the family line, as far as you can tell, stops there because you don't know who his parents were. No, yeah, we don't know what, um, you know, what who, what his real name was or anything. And we haven't been able to find out anything, so... It's, uh, yeah, it's quite, I think if I wrote it, it would be, um, you know, completely made up because there's no information. Yeah, yeah. But um, another thing that actually I used in a story in my book, A Second Bride, which was written as Catherine Swartz, we, um, when we lived up in the Lake District, we had a fire in the top floor of our house. And when the workmen came to repair the floor, they found a death certificate hidden under the floorboards from 1870, I think. Oh, yeah. I used that as the catalyst of my story so and made up the reason why this death certificate would be hidden under the floorboards, but that was kind of interesting. Oh, yes, indeed, it was. <laughs> so do you think that you're living proof that, I hate that expression really, that women can have it all, but I'm sure that you've come across it in your life and do do other women sort of look at you a little bit disbelieving, like, how on earth can you do it all? It's just, it shouldn't be allowed. Do you get that little bit? <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. I get this. So I think having five children, people sort of assume you're an expert at parenting when in fact, you know, I'm just like anyone else, just trying to figure it all out. Um, and I, do, I mean, I don't think anyone can have it all. I think you're always going to compromise, you know, and make sacrifices in, in some way. You know, and there's been times when I've put my work first too much and then times when I, um, you know, have just not been able to do 
uh, career-wise what I would have liked to do. So, you know, I think it's just, it's always a balancing act and I'm just like anyone else trying to get it right, not not always succeeding. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, just reverting a little bit to that um, mystery in your own life, I, I did, I was noticing that your husband is somebody that you've known for a very long time and I thought there might be a story there because you were together very young, weren't you? Well, we got married in our early 20s, but I knew him since I was a child because he was friends with my brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we didn't actually uh, start dating until after I finished university. So, yeah, I was just the annoying little sister as, you know, growing up. <laughs> <laughs> and that was in Canada, was it? No, that was in um, the United States. I'm Canadian, but my parents moved to the United States before I was born. And then oh, okay. back to Canada when I went to university. Oh, okay, great, great, great. Look, turning to Kate as the reader, because this is called The Joys of Binge Reading, um, I wondered what your, who your favourite binge reads were. I'm sure there's very little time for reading, but at some stage in your life you've probably had some favourites. Yeah, yeah. I um, Well, for romance, I really like Jessica Hart, who wrote um, uh, for Mills and Boone. And I think she probably got me hooked on Mills and Boone when I was a teenager. And I, for women's fiction, I like um, Emily Giffen and Jodie Picoult, Jojo Moyes. I'll read all their books. Mm -hmm. um, I also, I like to read psychological thrillers. So I've, I'm trying to think of some authors I've read. I tend to just read whatever's sort of hitting the charts at the moment. And I like historicals as well. I really like C.J. Sansom. He writes um, Matthew Shardlake um, mystery series set in the Tudor times. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm pretty eclectic. I just If I see a book and it looks good, I'll read it. I tend to prefer good stories Um as opposed to sort of literary musings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, so you'd see yourself as a storyteller first, would that be right? Yes, absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. Sort of circling around to the beginning and the end, at this stage in your career, if you were doing it all again, is there anything that you would change about the way that things have gone? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, well, I suppose you know, I, I would have, um, I would have liked to sell more books, but that's not really up to me. So, yeah, I think just maybe I think I would have liked to have um, slowed down and taken more time with my books because for the last few years I've written probably eight books a year, and it's just been sort of write one book, finish it, and start the next book the next day. And that's quite, that's been quite hard, I think, both on me and my family, but also on the books themselves, you know, just like being able to write the best books that I want to write. So, yeah, trying to slow down and just, um, you know, concentrate on each book as it happens. Goodness me, eight books a year. Give us an idea of what your disciplined life is like to allow that to happen. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm fortunate in that I can write quite quickly. And I tend to write a pretty clean first draft. I mean, I do go back and revise, but I don't have to sort of pull the whole book apart or anything. But um, now that my children are in school, I can write for about three hours a day, unless I have other things on, which happens probably too often. But um, yeah, I think it's just being really focused and not um, sort of frittering away time on the internet and, and stuff. 
But when my kids were smaller, I was actually much more disciplined because I would write, you know, they were at home, they were crawling all over me and I would still manage to write, you know, while holding a baby and and things. And I couldn't do that now. (laughs) How amazing, truly amazing. And three hours a day is very concentrated, but not huge hours. Have you found that you've got faster as you've got more? I mean, you have now done 60 books. I guess that is part of it, that you've just become very, very proficient at what you do. Well, I think it's the thing is, if, you, if I thought about the story and I know where it's going, I can write very quickly. But if I'm still figuring it out and I'm not sure who the characters are, then it's very slow. So if it's going really slowly, the writing, I tend to think I need, to, I need some thinking time. And I tend to, you know, take my dog for a walk or, you know, do some cleaning and just let, let myself mull over the story for a bit because it's not, it's not quite where it needs to be. Do you outline before you begin? I do, but then I allow myself to deviate from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I generally know. I generally have a picture of the end of the story, and I'm sort of writing towards that last scene. Sure. And so how many words a day would you normally aim? Do you have a word count that you aim for? I do. Yeah, I try to write 3,000 words a day. So that's a 1,000 words an hour. Wow, that is really <laughs> motoring. <laughs> when it's going well, that's easily done. When it's not going well... Yeah, it doesn't always happen. Yeah. And have you ever used the um, the talking, I dra- the dragon software and tried to actually dictate a book? Yeah, you know, I tried it very briefly when I um, injured my hand and I couldn't type for a couple of weeks. But I just, I don't know. I, I mean, I've I've talked to friends who who say it's really difficult at first, but then they get they get into it. But I found it really clunky in terms of when I write, when I type, I'm sort of it's sort of bypassing a certain part of my brain almost and the words are just sort of flowing out. And when I had to speak them, it began to feel very awkward. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe if I tried more, it, would, it wouldn't be so awkward. I don't know. So that injury wasn't RSI? <laughs> no, I actually got hit by a car and um, hurt my finger. So. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be surprising if you, with the amount of work that you seem to be doing, but... So what is next for Kate, the writer? Have you What have you got new projects under development? Yes, I'm writing um, a Christmas novella uh, that's set in the Willoughby Close world that um, will be out in October called Cupcakes for Christmas. And um, then I'm also finishing um, the latest series that I was writing, a vicarage, uh, the series set in a vicarage in the Lake District called A Vicarage Wedding. And then I'll be writing another book uh, similar to A Mother's Goodbye for, for my new publisher, which I haven't even thought about yet, <laughs> but it will be happening soon. And those, are you hoping to get all of those finished before the end of the year? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> Do you ever have time for holidays? <laughs> yes, I try. I actually try to take off the month of August um, since my kids are off school. It doesn't always happen, but... Yeah, that's the goal. Oh, that's great. That's <laughs> wonderful. Well, Kate, where can readers find you online? Yes, you can. Well, my website, kate-hewitt.com. Um, I'm on Twitter as Kate Hewitt one uh, I have a Facebook page, Kate Hewitt Author, and I'm usually posting on that. So those are probably the three best places. And you do have, have time to do social media as well as everything else? A little bit. Not much. But, you know, I probably post one thing a day. Yeah. But, 
yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's hard. I mean, uh, it takes up a lot of time, all these things. And you have quite close contact with your readers? Yes, yeah. I mean, if you write me on my Facebook page, which is how people usually contact me or, or my email, I will try to respond to you within a day or two. And uh, I love hearing from readers. It's always really... I mean, that's why you, you do it, to share your stories with people. And when people tell me that my story resonated with them, um, you know, that's just incredibly gratifying. So I've been really pleased, in particular with my last story about adoption. Some people have written me to say they were adopted or they adopted a child and they just really loved the story and were moved by it. So that's, you know, that's the best thing to, to know you're touching people. Yeah. Well, that, look, it's been wonderful talking. Thank you so much for making time and all the very best with the future. Thank you. You too, Jenny. Thank you very much. Okay, my dear. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audioservices at gmail.com Or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.